Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Some people doubted the wisdom of trialling daily podcasts for the final week of the season with the title race potentially over and both English sides trailing in their Champions League semi-finals. Happily, those people have been proved comprehensively wrong. It has been an incredible few days, featuring a Champions League becoming untethered from reality, grown men crying everywhere you look and goals celebrated with noises we didn't know our bodies were capable of making. We will get into Liverpool and Tottenham's remarkable runs to the Champions League final Final, ponder if Arsenal and Chelsea can make it an English clean sweep and preview the final weekend of the Premier League, which on current form will be the greatest single day in the history of the human race. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by a man who is astonishingly only now making his debut this season on Audio Football Club. It's Chief Football Writer Sam Wallace. How are you, Sam? I'm good, Tom. It's good to be here and I'm just going to pour something from the decanter that's in the yeah. table. We've gone very premium. We've got a lovely uh, a lovely water bottle. Uh, if you do hear anyone pouring it, uh, someone is being very, very unprofessional indeed. <laughs> Struggling through Wednesday night's Spurs triumph. It's noted Arsenal fan, Charlie Eccleshare. Hello. How's your level of misery? Uh, it's okay. Sort of coming to terms with it now. No no excitement whatsoever about the, the thrill of the game? Despite oh, I, there being your rivals? Yeah, I did really enjoy it. I've, I've, I have a sort of soft spot for Ajax as well, so I felt bad for them. Um, but no, it was incredibly exciting, but uh, tough to not have a lot of jealousy. A complicated morning for you. Finally, licking his missed playoff wounds, a debut for our sports news correspondent and Bristol City Ultra, Tom Morgan. How are you, Tom? Thanks for having me along, Tom. Yeah, yeah pretty good. Thanks. Good, good. Excited by the Champions League? Incredibly, yeah. I'm a plastic Spurs fan as well from the West <laughs> Country. So, um, yeah, you had to choose because uh, it was either the gas or Bristol City um, plus a Premier League team. And uh, mine was Spurs, fortunately. And uh, yeah, it was amazing. Good, good. Glad to hear it. I mean, two utterly remarkable games on consecutive nights in the Champions League. Let's start with the more recent one. It just didn't look on in any way at half time for Spurs, did it? They were 1 0 down against Ajax, looked quite off the pace. What do we think changed for them at half time? What was that old tactical switcheroonie, wasn't it? I mean, Laurenti just had such a big effect in the second half. I think, um, I think, it, I don't think you need to overcomplicate it really. I think they they changed uh, they changed the way that they uh, approached the game. They went straight for Ajax, and I mean, people. I think there's always a uh, an instinct among people among some supporters to say, well, some people who are critical to say that's not. You know that's not a um, that's just route one. That's desperation football. But I genuinely think they'd spotted something there. Pochettino spotted something that would would make a difference, and it did. Mm. I think the weird thing is though, and it may have just been my paranoia because I 
desperately didn't want Tottenham to win, but I actually did think it was on at halftime. I never, I never felt Tottenham were out of it. I thought Ajax looked quite brittle. I thought Tottenham were getting chances in the first half. I thought they, Ajax had looked brittle in the second half of the first leg as well. And I did feel if Tottenham got one in that kind of 45 to 60 window, then they would have a chance because I just thought, how can a team as young and inexperienced as Ajax not, if they concede, suddenly realise how close they are to you know the, the biggest match of their lives and, and they did look like they froze a little bit and as soon as that first went in you thought they only need two and I can definitely see them getting two and as it as it panned out yeah I think I just maybe thought all the magic had been exhausted the previous <laughs> night and it, was, it wasn't going to strike twice what about Lucas Moura Tommy came good in a big way for Spurs showed enormous promise at PSG but not massively consistent Spurs need to sign players more often don't they if this yeah, is the play, sort of player they're going to get in he was absolutely electric last night I think he's 18 months in isn't he now from his PSG deal um yeah, I think it does illustrate how Poch, Poch would have liked to have done more business by now. But but given that, you know, he's got he's got a settled side of you know more and perhaps the twelfth, thirteenth man, not always first choice. And um, I, just, I think it actually is testament to the fact that he had that settled team and, and more has been able to to, to really mature into the, the player he's become and crucial for for Spurs last night. What about Musa Sissoko as well? Um, I can't think of a more improved player this season. No, I think it's interesting as well with both Tottenham and we'll get on to Liverpool, but this was a night for those understudies. I mean, it was Llorente and Mora who were so key and obviously the night before you'd had someone like Origi stepping up. And that's what these great managers do. You know, they can you can look at the team and say, oh, they're missing this player, they're missing that one. But other players step up and Sissoko, if you want to look at what makes Pochettino so special from a coaching point of view, then Musa Sissoko should be the poster child for that because his improvement has just been unbelievable this was a player that was a bit of a, a joke figure I think for a lot of people certainly the, like, a lot of Spurs fans least favourite Spurs player like this time last year yeah and he's just come on so much looks so accomplished and uh, I mean it was funny he created the the winner with just a punt forward <laughs> it's just this beautiful moment that in this this competition where the quality is so high, ultimately it was just a punt and a flick on and then uh, yeah, a great finish. Yeah, very route one. It was a bit spursy from Ajax, wasn't it, Sam? Um, they just seemed to completely lose control of the tie in the second half. Yeah, you'd look at that team and um, although there are, you know, they're not all kids, I, I suppose if, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, you'd say daily blend aside, where's that sort of, where's that old head that's going to steer them through? But Tadic? Uh, well, yeah, I, I think it's different when you're a striker as well, isn't it? It's slightly you're kind of you're slightly removed from from the the hurly burly of a sort of 15 minute siege. I think um, I just I, I mean, obviously, it's going to be, it was galling for them, but uh, you know, in terms of the actual overall achievement, they started qualification ten days after the World Cup final. <laughs> it was ridiculous. They came through three stages of qualifying just to get to the group stages. It's an epic epic kind of campaign for them and yes of course had if they'd gone on to want it to win it sorry that would have been one of the great stories but as coming as far as they had I think it's really revitalized you know the competition and the and the question of what is possible in the Champions League especially as you know let's not forget that this is the first I think this is the first in five years that it's not been Messi or Ronaldo winning it so it does feel like a little bit of change plus we've got all this politics over what the Champions League is going to look like in the future um, so I, I just they will be remembered there's no question I mean 
you know, West Ham have like parades, not parades, but DVDs and videos for a team that finished third. If you, you know, I think Ajax can certainly celebrate a, a team that got to the the, uh, the semi-finals of the Champions League. Everyone expects this team to be carved up now, and obviously, mm. it's, but some it of them already has been, hasn't right? It? <laughs> some I mean, of them are already on the yeah. way. No danger that any of that's. I mean, some of the deals are already done, of course. But do you think any of the players who are slightly on the cusp might decide to stay now and stick around? The interesting one is going to be Delictor, isn't it, or Delight? I don't know how, how we pronounce that. He's he's um, I mean. He, the, the crazy thing is he's really in no rush given his age. I mean, he could easily do another couple of seasons, but this is football and that presumably won't be allowed to happen. <laughs> um, I, I always say this about you know sort of top players in the 80s when I was growing up. Even when you had a Paul Ince at West Ham, they used to stay for a few years. You know, They used to do some stuff with their first team and, and then move on. And now they're gone really before they've, they've, they've even started. So it would be... I mean, I'm sure that Ajax could pay them, you know, wages, livable wages for a couple of years. It's just, it's just the urgency of other of the big guns to be seen to be making progress that means that these young players very rarely stay for long. Yeah, at least none of the Ajax players have held up the shirt of the team they're joining. Like Paul Lynch did. Frankie De Jong. Oh no! <laughs> I was just, I was just flicking through a story about him earlier, and, and it's amazing that um, that's kind of just accepted now because clearly, in days gone by, that was that was completely unpalatable. Yeah, it's an utter villain for what he did to West Ham. What about Poch, Tom? He was making threats to leave, seemingly, before the game if Spurs won the tournament. Do you believe him? I think it's all part of his his complicated genius. Is he perhaps uh, perhaps thinking about a message to Daniel Levy. I don't, I don't think there's any any genuine intent to to, to leave the club. It, it, it just this is a game changer in every way. Last night for the club, um, you know, it's biggest night in their life since since perhaps 1961 um and 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 now you know new stadium the 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 new revenues that the champions league final is going to open up the the world platform that it gives tottenham i mean he's just in a, a, a wonderful position now if it is some sort of bluff he's absolutely ruined it by, by his display after the game hasn't he like i don't think you can fake the emotion he was showing on the pitch afterwards. exactly and 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 he'd look around and think well which basket case club am i going am i going to go to compared to with something that i've created entirely myself having not spent any money for two years do you think though if if united had and sam you might know about this as well if if united had really gone big for pochettino this season or even if that opportunity comes up next season do you think he'd be he'd be tempted it's an interesting question with him. I I would go back to the end of last season when um, there's that great... I was there at Wembley for that brilliant... It's 5-4, the Leicester, mm. Leicester game. And um, I was checking the date. So that was May the 13th. And on that day, he really launched afterwards mm. this sort of manifesto for how we have to, we have to take risks. We have to... We have to... You know, he was basically saying we're going to sign players and we've got to do this and we've got to do that and... And it was unusual because his relationship, there's a real bromance between him and Daniel Levy. And you saw it again on the on the pitch last night. But, I mean, Pochettino's this fantastic autobiography that was written with Gillan Balagay, which was incredibly candid, talked of their trips to Argentina on, like, hiking holidays mm-hmm. and, things like, and hugging trees together. I mean, literally, I mean I'm not making this yeah, up. Yeah. This actually happened. Um, and 
and and I th- I thought at the time it was unusual because because he protects Levy. I mean, that's one of the reasons Levy, one of the many reasons Daniel Levy loves him is that he protects him a lot. He doesn't blame him for anything. And so that was May the thirteenth. On May the twenty fourth, he signed a new contract, and and I I bow to no one in my admiration of Pochettino, but I do think that that little speech was about making sure that he got his contract because, as well as we know, in the last two windows, they've done the exact opposite of what he said they should do after Leicester, which was sign players. So a long way of answering your question is, I actually think, I think he's very happy where he is, mm. and I think he's very difficult. He's going to be very difficult to dislodge. It was interesting last night. I mean, I wasn't at the game; I was watching it on BT Sport. And, and there was a brief sort of exchange between Lineker and Hoddle in the studio about buying players. And Hoddle obviously knows Levy very, very... I mean, Gary Lineker's contacts, I'm sure, are impeccable. But Hoddle had obviously been speaking to Levy that day because he was insistent. He said, no, Gary, the money was there to sign players. Mm. And that has been the general mood that, that it wasn't Daniel Levy with this sort of caricature kind of tight-fistedness. He was saying... There are, you know, there are players we can get. Shall we go and get them? It was Pochettino over the last two windows who was saying, "No, no. If, if it's that player, I don't want them. I'll, I'll stick with what I've got." And, and well, it's been an extraordinary result. That's kind of parallels with Arsene Wenger. I mean, that was often mm. the debate that was had then, wasn't it? That it was him sort of playing that economist role as much as it was <laughs> that the people exactly would... spending it like it was his own money. Exactly. Really. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, Pochettino's done that a couple of times this season, hasn't he? He's kind of made these little hints that you know things need to change and I'm never quite, I know exactly what you mean but I'm never quite sure what he's talking about because mm. because he 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 often contradicts himself or rows back in the in the course of the same press conference and when you try and not uh, yeah pin him down on something he looks at you so wounded at what you're <laughs> suggesting that you think did he actually even say that mm-hmm. I mean did I hear what he just said I think you get the impression sometimes with managers that there's there's just a finite number of things they've got to say and actually they yeah. probably speak more than they've got things to say so end up yeah. just saying oh, things yeah. that we're all like oh my god he's going to leave yeah. uh, but actually he's just sort of thrown that out there and not giving it much thought because he's really concerned with like what he's going to do with you know Jan Vertonghen <laughs> in the game that's coming up let's move on to Liverpool on Tuesday night you were there Sam I mean, I'm probably way less professional than you, but I imagine it must be quite a challenge to actually control your emotions and concentrate on filing a report on nights like that. How was it? Well, at the back of your mind, you are thinking, you know, uh, when the kids flick through your back catalogue in years to come, this may be one they go to, so try and do a good job of it. And whatever you write, I'm sure Jonathan Lou will have done something much better. (laughs) Um, Bleep out his name. He's not getting any more praise this week. When your kids go through Johnny Lou's back catalogue. Saying, Dad, why can't you write like this? Um, yeah, I, 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 I think um, to be honest, I think as a journalist, you're quite selfish in that you want you want to come up with the line or the or, or just to get the tone of the piece just right, and and you get two chances to do it. So as as we know, you get the first edition, which has to be done pretty swiftly, and then you do get another run at it. Um, but but generally speaking. You don't, you don't want to be filing garbage. I mean, that's um, you know, that's a, that's an old rule of journalism. <laughs> Actually, one of the best one of the best uh, bits of advice I was given by Rob Shepherd way back in the day was, if you can't write a good one, write a bad one, but just make sure you write one. And uh, and I think that it's a long way of saying that the, the main thing on your mind is let's do justice to this marvelous event. And um, uh, and. And then after that, yes, I'm afraid you you are at these incredible um, sort of epic occasions, but uh, you are, you know, you are kind of furiously typing away (laughs) rather than absorbing it all. But I never lose sight of the fact that they are, they are wonderful to be at. Yeah, quite. How did Liverpool do it, Tom? Is there, well, there's, there's, there's huge comparisons, obviously, with with Klopp and, and Pochettino. Is that 
in a way, it was fortuitous, but also a, a great decision to bring on Wijnaldum, as it turned out, for for, for injured Robertson. And uh, just uh, uh, Messi as well. I think I think they, they targeted him. He, he looked rattled from minute three or four. Mm. And... And as a result, you know, Barcelona looked to, looked to play everything through him, um, and 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 you know, just just that that Anfield occasion, that first goal, you just started to believe for them. Do you think that affects the players? Do you think the, the Anfield thing is? I mean, it seemed and obviously I wasn't there, but even on the telly, it sounded amazing. It looked amazing. Players like Luis Suarez, I mean, he's obviously played there. Coutinho, Messi, is that really going to make that much of a difference to them? Well. I'm perhaps biased because I've only had two outings at Anfield. One was in 1993 to watch Bristol City uh, <laughs> beat Liverpool 1-0 and, and Graham Sinesse got the sack a few weeks later. But that diff- different <laughs> different era entirely. But uh, they, they, yeah, given, I, I think it's a, it, it, they've made a huge difference. And, uh, you know, especially that on that 1-0 deficit, that half-time was just absolutely critical for them. I think they definitely did look rattled, the players. And it happens too often for it not to be... For not to be a factor, and I think that's what we. One of the reasons that captured the imagination so much was that just to see that intangibles like that do still matter in an age where the preparation is such that often football, certainly the kind of Guardiolaification of football, means it can feel very formulaic and it's you know just these structures. Barcelona, especially, are a team like that, and as brilliant as Messi is, it's often very surgical the way he'll cut teams open. So to see the human side of it and players that genuinely were affected by it and just kind of losing their heads a bit, making silly decisions. Jordi Alba giving the ball away for that first goal. I think it was that added to how exhilarating an occasion it was. And you see, you know, the Liverpool players just rising and visibly getting better and better as the game went on. Yeah, you've got to assume a lot of that is down to Klopp. I know there's a, a bit of a debate about exactly who does what at Liverpool and, and which coaches are in charge of what things. But... Uh, there are maybe more astute tacticians, as you say, Guardiola's the one that comes to mind. But I think what we can assume about Klopp, I don't think this is a controversial thing to say, that he's, he must just be like such a brilliant judge of character, one of the best man-managers working today. Yeah, I think clearly the fitness thing with Klopp's a big deal. Um, and and I think once they've got that in place, I, 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 one of the things that people have said about him is that he's, he's pretty... Um, Inflexible, maybe rigid in in terms of where he sees you in a position. So players play the same position. I mean, Milner being the exception, obviously. But um, so there's, you know, as um, Alex Oxley Chamberlain said in the piece that he did with us, that you know there there are very clear structures about where he goes and what he does on the ball, and and that was quite new to him. Um, but clearly, Klopp is just good at pushing those emotional buttons. He does it, you know, this little speech he gave them beforehand, where he said, "Look, I think this is impossible, but given that it's you lot, maybe it isn't." You know, this is good stuff. You know, this this rings people's bell. It really does. And on the atmosphere, I mean, I've spent years sort of just in denial about every fan saying, "I've been to the Ali Samien, and that was an atmosphere." I mean, that was that and Napoli is actually quite, you know, really properly intimidating. Just getting to the stadium, but the big thing. And, and I don't know why more clubs don't do it, is the song at the start. Mm. I mean, it's old Rodgers and Hammerstein, You'll <laughs> Never Walk Alone. Carousel. Yes. It's, <laughs> I, mean, it's, I mean, when you actually sort of... Tear, it's, it's kind of crazy that they sing. But what it does is it just stops everyone. We're going to have our moment. This, this is our ritual. This is going to happen, a bit like a hacker. I was just, and, it's just like the hacker, yeah, isn't it? It's and that. all of you lot have got to wait till we're done with this. And, and, then, and it's kind of like this sort of... 
you're you're very much then in their house, you know, and they're determining it. And, and the old press box in the main stand before they knocked it down and built a new one was a, was a real cramped little affair, but it was right next to the director's box. And what you used to notice was you'd get the, to the directors of the opposing team get seats on the front row of the, and they would be stood there kind of quite truculent and, you know, and trying to exude confidence. And then as the song started, you could see them getting their their phones out <laughs> and starting to, or, or even in the days before smartphones and so on, you could just see this little change. I often used to watch them um, and this little change in like, all oh, right, this this is how it's going to be, you know, and and it is such a spectacle, and I, I don't know why, I just don't know why others don't. Obviously, there are other clubs like Celtic who sing mm. and never walk well, on, alone. On the other hand, you had Ajax last night playing Three Little Birds by Bob Marley, which is not as intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tempted fate. Your yeah. Never Walk Alone is a very kind of mournful song. I mean, it's it's it, it is. Um, well, it comes at the end of a musical where basically everyone's died and lots of really, really? sad things have happened. Yeah. I mean, the carousel is a very sad, sad musical. You're listening to Telegraph Musical Football. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we should talk a little bit about the final. Who are you backing, Tom? Who do you fancy? Liverpool. I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, Saturday's going to be a massive, or Sunday even for, for for Spurs. You know, kind of, it, it felt like the wheels had come off before before last night, and so so you know what a remarkable turnaround. But um, just this Liverpool side is one for the ages it feels and um given that it looks like it might not be their year um in the league um you just just it, they're just going to redouble it for for the Champions League surely but either of you care to disagree I, I think Tottenham in as much as these things can happen if a team's name can be written on a trophy I think Tottenham for me it feels so reminiscent of Chelsea in 2012 where seemingly every round they were they were out and would somehow pick themselves up and for Spurs you know they had, what, a point from the first three group games? They were gone then. They were pretty much gone against Inter, pretty much gone against Barca, and this is just in the group. So I think the way they've just kept themselves alive, I think I think they've got a really good chance in the final. What about the Europa League, Charlie? Can't forget about the Europa League. Mm, yeah, the big one. Semis take place, second legs on Thursday night. Arsenal travel to Valencia, 3-1 up. Chelsea have got Eintracht Frankfurt at home. That's one all. Another all-English final? It looks that way, yeah. I mean, there was a sort of, it was quite sad yesterday. The Arsenal Twitter feed was trying to generate interest. You know, it's like we're one one game from Baku whilst uh, <laughs> Spurs secured their passage to Madrid for the Champions League final. Yeah, you would think so. I mean, Chelsea have that away goal and um, have been very good at home. You'd think they would go through. Arsenal, 3 1. <laughs> Given their away form, that may not be enough of a buffer, but um, they were actually oddly very impressive against Napoli away uh, in the last round. So, if they can produce anything like that against what is generally a pretty defensive side, um, I think they'll just about have enough. And then, yeah, Chelsea against Arsenal and Azerbaijan in a few weeks' time. And it's live. <laughs> a brief interruption from the Footballing Love Festival to let you know about another exciting audio development of The Telegraph this week. Ten years ago, a small group of journalists at the paper took delivery of a hard drive which had details of the expense claims of every MP in the country. As you might remember, it became a pretty big story. And to mark the anniversary, the audio team have made an absolutely fantastic podcast telling the inside story of the scandal. It is called Expenses. It's gripping, it's funny, and it's thought-provoking. It's basically like a cold case, but with panicking British politicians rather than a murdered teenager. If you want a brief respite from football this week, this is your chance. To find it, search for Expenses wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link in the show notes of this episode. Mm. 
Right, let's focus on the Premier League now. Um, Sam, set out the case for Brighton getting a surprise result against Manchester City at home on Sunday to give us the denouement to what's been an amazing week of football. I had a look at their record earlier and I don't think they've won since April, have they, in the Premier League? Eight, eight games? Doing without, a bad job of setting out the case, Sam. Without a victory. So from that starting point, um, it can't be anything... If, if Brighton were to not lose this game... It, it, it won't be anything other than a kind of almighty siege, will it? It'll be sort of Duncan Duffy against the mm-hmm. world. And then it will be, there'll be sort of a Premier League record for the amount of times the post has been hit or, you know, someone <laughs> falling over on the line and not even realising the ball's hit them. And it, so it's going to be one of those games. It's a real, it's a real punt. But then after the week we've had, it kind of, it does feel like anything is possible. But Does that but get the, into footballers' heads, do you think? Like, would Spurs have done it? On Thursday night, had Liverpool yeah, not happened on Wednesday? It's an interesting question. I, I, I think I think what's been pervasive this week though is that is that it's all all these games have all been about attacking teams, taking risks, and going for it. I mean, I love the Klopp idea. He said that you know we attack with everything we've got, and then we defend with what with whatever's left. And and that what what we're looking at in the in terms of. City at Brighton would be a team doing some some sort of miracle with like seventeen percent possession, you know, sort of goal kicks and throw-ins, and uh, and and just trying desperately. That's not been the theme of the week. The theme of the week has been rip roaring, attacking, and let's go for it. Um, I mean, I, I, I you know I don't I don't want this clip to be replayed when I when when Brighton win one nil, but I think it is impossible. Yes, for yeah, them to get a result does seem a bridge too far. What about Wolves at Liverpool? Tom, um, potentially they're going to cause more of an issue to them, aren't they, than uh, than Brighton will to Man City? Yeah, absolutely. A great, great side. Um, looks like Wolves might fancy fancy spent spending big again this summer. So you know, there's there's going to be players out there looking to kind of impress the manager. There's they they are going to need changes. They're moving up moving up a gear yet again. Um, yeah, um, I, th- I think I think Liverpool. There's probably less pressure on them actually than than, than Man City, given given they they only need to win. Um, that you know it's a it's a win and then hope. So I, I think I think that's going to be fairly straightforward to for Liverpool in reality. All right, assuming it is Man City, Charlie, where would you rank them in the list of all-time Premier League champions? Well. I mean, the fact they've they'll have defended it, which no one's done for a decade. I think that instantly puts them pretty high. Um, obviously, their points tallies for the two seasons this season and the one just gone will both be ludicrous. Um, I think it's hard to compare because obviously the the difference now between those top two and top six, even and the rest, is just so vast, and that hasn't always been the case. Um, but they'd be. I think you'd have to say they'd be they'd be right up there. Um, to have defended the title. And also, we, we talk a lot about how amazing Liverpool have been to live with this City team. Well, for this City team to have fended off what's been an unbelievable challenge from Liverpool, a team who are going to end in the mid to high 90s, uh, has been quite something. Um, you know, and then you think if they can then add a third to that, which is possible, then you really are putting them up with those kind of United teams of, of the late 90s and, and then early mid 90s as well. Yep, it's a fair point. Any chance Pep might flounce off afterwards if City do win it? I mean, there's not been any, there's not been any signs of that. He signed that new contract around this time last year. When he's left before, we've known about it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, well, he's just basically seen out contracts, hasn't he? Right, I see. Um, so he, it seems like 
it's hard to think of another club that could give him all the things that he needs. That's basically, I mean, Manchester City have basically been built for the last eight, yeah, 10 years, really, to accommodate Pep Guardiola, whether he was their manager at the time or not. It felt like that was what it was heading towards. I mean, I'm sure they've got a plan for when he does leave, but um, but even him, you know, will, will realise that you don't get this level of control elsewhere. I don't think he had it by Munich, for instance, which is probably why he didn't hang around. Um Beyond the three years, so I I I, th- I think that's unlikely. I don't think he's um, I don't I don't he, he's looked um he actually started talking about Bagiristan quite recently um, um, in relation to Phil Foden, which he doesn't normally doesn't really talk about anyone else at the club generally speaking in press conferences. So beyond his players, so that would suggest a relationship there is is very strong. Tommy, you had the most important story of the week. What is the protocol for potentially two champions on Sunday? Yeah. Where is the trophy going to be? Well, I was a bit slow on the uptake, actually. The penny only dropped this week when I, when I found out there's actually two Premier League trophies. Probably everyone knows this, but uh, they, yeah, obviously there's been one at the Etihad all season and then there's one that the Premier League passed around to make themselves look good on, you know, put it on on match today or whatever um, and uh, yeah so, so, so they'll, 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 these two trophies there's not one being made just because it's going down to the wire there'll be there'll be two there's one at, one obviously at Brighton and then one at Anfield and um, 80, 80 medals will be made um, obviously at both stadiums and uh, obviously no no Richard Scudamore so um, they, they don't have a, a concern about where to, whether to helicopter in, him in uh, so yeah, yeah it's, it's the the, uh, the acting uh, chair Claudia Amy, who is at Brighton, and the interim chief chief exec, Richard Masters, at Liverpool. We will watch that with interest. (laughs) What about the rest of the Premier League? Not too much left to be settled. Uh, Spurs rather limping over the line in the league. They won't care too much about that at the moment. Same for Arsenal, really, Charlie. Any concerns for either of those teams that that form is going to bleed into next season? I don't know about bleeding into next season. I think one of the concerns, and this is something Sam and I were talking about before, is that Arsenal or United could finish, uh, one of them will finish sixth. And that could, if Watford win the FA Cup, mean having to start the Europa League preliminaries in, at the end of July, which would be pretty disastrous for their pre-season plans, uh, interrupting lucrative tours and <laughs> uh, and cutting short um, preparation time. Yeah, I think Arsenal, <laughs> the end of the season has, I think, has led to criticism for Emery. I would frame it a slightly different way and think it's exposed how weak the squad is really and I think Emery papered over a lot of those cracks but it needs a lot of surgery whether they'll get that investment a lot of that will come down to whether they qualify for the Champions League which will be through the Europa League because unless there's a ridiculous mathematical uh, goal difference swing they won't overtake Tottenham Um, so there's there's lots to be done Uh, Tottenham have finished the season badly I mean United have finished the season badly they all have I think they're all domestically anyway quite keen to just get to the end and regroup and see what they can do in the summer and you know players coming back from injury for all of those teams as well on the other hand you've got teams like West Ham and Everton finishing the season looking really good um, looking a lot more coherent than they have done is that a sign Tom we're going to have a more decent mid-table next year and the chasing pack is actually going to be a little bit more lively it it probably is um, combined with the sort of terrible end to the seasons for a few a few of the a few of those sort of clubs outside the well, the top two, really. I mean, I think I think maybe we will see that that tightening up. But I guess Spurs are going to spend big, so perhaps perhaps the th- you might you might see the three moving away and Arsenal needing to kind of 
and and Chelsea and, and United need, needing to fill that gap. So perhaps it perhaps it will. And and West Ham were were, were awesome against uh, Spurs a couple of weeks ago. So you know they they must be hugely encouraged. Yeah, very much so. Wolves also uh, very impressive all season long. Really potentially in the Europa League next year. Have they got the squad to cope with that or are they going to need to buy several more excellent players? I think um, they're very ambitious Wolves and they've got these Chinese owners and Fosun and this connection with Jester I mean, they, they seem, the recruitment doesn't seem to be a problem for them. Um, they seem to punch very much above their weight in that regard. I think that's where they see themselves. I remember at the start of the season doing a piece with the uh, managing director Laurie Dalrymple, who began by saying they were going to make the stadium bigger, which at the time, I mean, felt a little bit um, absurd. But I mean, I've been there a couple of, I've been there about half a dozen times this season, and uh, they, uh, you know, they do pack it out, and it's a real, it's an incredible sort of rebirth. I don't think the Europa League would be a problem for them at all. I mean, they have that sort of. They they were a great club around the time of the inception of the European Cup. They do see themselves, you know. Although many others, as the modern generation, this would be kind of news to uh, the sort of millennials. But they do see themselves wolves as as a European club. Possible farewell for Maurizio Sarri. Oh, uh, he takes his Chelsea team to Leicester on Sunday. How are you going to remember his time at Chelsea, Charlie? Kepa. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think. It, it, I think he's done a decent job. I think it felt like the wrong fit from the start. I mean, someone like Sarri, I think you need to give time. You need to accept he has this way of playing and that he's stubborn. Um, And I just don't think Chelsea's really the right fit for him. I think they're more those sort of gun-for-hire Ancelotti types who can come in and get results instantly. But I think, you know, Sarri, he will probably finish the season, well, likely finish season third uh, and very likely as Europa League winner, which I think at the start of the season would have been way above expectations um, I, I think he's just he's quite funny in a way because he doesn't pay lip service to the importance of the fans or institutions or things like that which really matter to supporters but he just doesn't really seem to get that or care why'd you say Kepa Sam? I just think that's the defining moment of the season the player that wouldn't come off I mean it's amazing. I mean at the time it was all anyone was talking about yeah. I mean I'm sure it was the same on the podcast as well I, I, I actually quite I quite like him. He uses words. I mean, as when you're scratching around for a sort of a back page lead, he uses words that really lend themselves. He, I mean, very early he, he described the performance as a catastrophe, which is <laughs> which is really rare. Managers don't say stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I I do quite I do quite like him and his sort of very dry sense of humour. Uh, and and clearly he's you know he's he's pulled himself up for about eighteen different jobs over thirty years. Um, I just think that a lot of when you look at the Klopp and Pochettino over the last week, that great emotional connection with their players, and some people might say, oh, it's all for TV, it's all great, but I think that really matters now. I think when you're finding ways to motivate a room of 20-something multimillionaires, you you need to different tools, and I'm not quite sure Maurizio's, Maurizio with the Z has got all of those. <laughs> but it was interesting the way that the Kepa thing was held up as going to be, you know, this is going to undermine his authority and he'll never have the respect to players again, but they've actually... That's they've sort of had a fairly decent sequence yeah. <laughs> since then. It's... And Kepa's given his first interview. Actually, he did it with a male, unfortunately, not us. But um, it was a really good piece, and yeah. it was he just sort of said um, in between discussing his love of goldfinches, which he used to collect with mm. his father in the hills around where they lived. Um, he he just basically said, uh, "Yeah, I got it wrong, and I won't do it again." And you thought, "Wow, this is." is it, 
at one point this felt like one of them's got to go that's what six or six was saying sell him now and, and that and, and it is a bit of a lesson that look however bad it gets if, if there's if there's a if the club cannot panic you can get through these things yeah it's all quite funny in the end isn't it uh there's usually one extremely high-scoring game on the final day, some sort of wacky action on the fixture list. Where is that happening this year? Well, I guess the wackiest side in the last few games has been Manchester United, so perhaps they've got Cardiff. Warnock was incredibly wacky last week, uh, <laughs> walking up to the camera at one stage and just staring at staring out the cameraman for what seemed an eternity. And, uh, you know, they've obviously got nothing to lose. It, They've been defending quite deep, but uh, you know anything could happen. I think in that game. Any any picks for a left field result this weekend, Charlie? No, that's partly because I can't remember any of the uh, the well, wackier. I'll looking... give you one: Crystal Palace, Bournemouth. Okay. Oh, that's Some a good one. Crazy mid-table shootout and nothing to play for. Nothing to play for. Three red cards. Palace yeah. scoring like a third of their home goals all season <laughs> in one game. <laughs> Get to Selhurst Park this Sunday. Let's quickly talk about the Football League playoffs, shall we? Villa versus West Brom is the early game on Saturday in the Championship. Villa absolutely flying top of the form table for the last eight, but not all that brilliant at home. They've only got the ninth best record in the Championship this season. Them and Leeds pretty even in the betting to go up, but West Brom could make it difficult for them, Tom. Yeah, um, it's been a weird change of fortunes for... um, Obviously, last time they paid, I think, um, Darren Moore then in charge, uh, West Brom... uh, Wipe the floor with, with Villa and, and Villa have subse- subsequently the pennies dropped for them and they, they've just been on the most extraordinary run. Uh, looks like Tammy Abraham back and fit. They've got the best player in the league in, in Jack Grealish. Um, I think uh, I, I'd like to see Villa in the final, to be honest. They, they, uh, Dean Smith, I love. He's, a, he's best, one of the best managers outside the Premier League and uh, yeah, yeah, be, be it quite exciting to see them back and back challenging for the big time. Derby Leeds is uh, probably just about the glamour clash in the semis. Frank Lampard versus Marcello Bielsa. It looks like a mismatch on paper, Charlie. Um, but do you think Leeds' uh, Devon Lockjob in the league will haunt them a little bit going into the semi? I do. I think it's really hard once that momentum disappears to to get it back. I, I actually think I would expect Derby to, to go through in that one. Um, I think Leeds, the way the way it's fallen apart and. I watched that uh, the Wigan game where they were at home against 10 men for pretty much the whole thing and contrived to lose. Um, a lot of their players look tired. Um, yeah, I think uh, I, I think Derby will, will edge that. What about League One? I think 100 lashes for the fixture computer, Sam, making Sunderland-Portsmouth a half-past seven kickoff. The return legs, quarter eight as well. Haven't these fans suffered enough this season? That is some journey for a that Saturday is outrageous. night. That is outrageous. As someone who was 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 sort of um, has done has done Saturday night games all this week, uh, all this season. Sorry, especially the um, some of those when Friday. I always thought when Friday night football began, they'd, they'd actually forgotten about Friday night M six, which is which is much less entertaining. <laughs> um, I, I, I despise these. Any any game played late at the weekend or even on a Friday night is is absolutely the worst because there's um, and for the fans' point of view, a lot of city hotels are booked out for weekends. Just I mean, you know, you could not get a hotel room in Newcastle, for instance, on Saturday night after the Liverpool game for love nor money, and that wasn't Liverpool fans. That seemed on the evidence that I saw mainly stag and Hindus and and 
people people paralytically drunk at about four o'clock in the afternoon. So uh, it was yeah. what a country. <laughs> <laughs> it's something to be proud of. That's your lot for this episode. We'll be back with you tomorrow as we complete our week of podcasts with our women's football special. You can contact me on Twitter if you'd like to. Before then, it's at Tom with an H Gibbs. Send an email to the podcast too if you like, afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe to Audio Football Club. Just write those words onto the internet. Take it from there. Absolutely backing you. Thanks to Elliot Lampett on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. 